Well, good morning, Four Points Church. Man, I tell you what, I have been running all over the place this week, <laughs> being super busy. And I was just thinking as we were worshiping just then, guys, just, just dialed into the Holy Spirit, just hearing our, our worship team lead us in worship and, and hearing your voices behind me, just worshiping the Lord, guys. It was such a blessing to me. And I was just thinking, man, driving in the car, you know, I have my worship playlist. I'm listening to like worship songs, guys, but there's nothing there's nothing like our Four Points worship team and what they offer to the Lord. Guys, we are so blessed to have such gifted people who are giving it freely to God. Isn't that just incredible? It's incredible, guys. Just, just incredible. Well, guys, we are going through a series. We just started it last week called Victorious. And here's what we're grabbing a hold of, guys. The fact that because God is our good father, because he receives us, because he forgives us, and because he empowers us, we are called to a victorious life. And I know that maybe somebody in the room today, maybe at least one person, doesn't feel victorious today. But that doesn't change the truth that you are in Christ so I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers. But as you're turning there, I'm going to give you just a little background. If you remember last week, we talked about how Moses led God's people through the Red Sea and the victory that God provided for them. And we're going to pick up just a little further along in the story. Because in this series, Victorious, what we're doing is we're walking through the Bible and we're looking at examples of where God brought about victory in the lives of his people. Because you know what? The truths of God are timeless. And the character of God is timeless. I'm not Moses. <laughs> You're not Moses. Right? But we serve the same God that Moses served. With the same power. Guys, so I'm excited. We're, we're moving forward just a little bit more in the story. Moses and the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea and are about to enter into the land that God has promised to them. When he brought them out of Egypt, he promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know if that sounds appealing to you or not. Flowing milk doesn't really sound appealing to me. But it has to do with prosperity and how great the land is that God was bringing them into. And so as Moses is walking up, coming up on the land with all of his people, God puts it in Moses' heart to select one leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go into the land and be spies, like Jason Bournes. Remember me telling you, that's my favorite movie. And they go into the land, and their job is to find out a couple of things. One of them is how plentiful is the land? Like, is there, how is the food, you know? How, how is, how is uh, the, the, the landscape and the land for grazing and for cattle? You know, is there enough food for us to eat as we're coming into the land? The other thing they were supposed to look at was the people, you know, what, what are the, how organized are the people? What do these cities look like? You know, do they have big walls, little walls? Like, we're going into battle, so what are we going to see when we get in there? And that's where our story picks up in Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. It says this. <clears throat> they, this is the 12 Jason Bournes, came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. 
They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who lived there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. I could spend a whole sermon explaining what Anak and the Nephilim are. I won't do that except to say that these guys were actually giants. Okay? The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Do you know people do that sometimes? (laughs) When they share their opinions to leadership and it's not received, what do they do? They go out amongst the people, right? And begin to just sort of plant seeds of doubt. They spread this bad report. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. So guys, I, I love this story. <laughs> I, want you to, I want you to follow along with me. I want to make just a few observations from this story and from Caleb's life that can apply to us. The first one is this. Caleb stood with God. Caleb stood with guys, with God. Of the 12 guys who went into the land, only two stood with God. The Bible tells us that Caleb and Joshua were the only two guys of those 12 who came back and said, let's go into the land. The other 10 said, we shouldn't go in. They were afraid. And guys, God had just taken his people out of Egypt with all of those plagues and all of those miracles God led them with his unmistakable presence. I mean, there was a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. I wonder what it would have been like sometimes to be in the camp of the Israelites, you know? And at night, you know, you, got, you put the kids to bed, you come out of your tent, and there is a pillar of fire that is God, you know? Like, like this huge pillar. I wonder what that was like. I bet it was just incredible. But God, and God also, he, he displayed his power, guys. Like he, he devoured the entire Egyptian army. He parted the Red Sea. And then he covered up the Egyptian army with the Red Sea. And now after all that God's people had seen God do, only two guys were prepared to follow God and Moses into the land. Now on a, on a human level, I get it, right? These Nephilim guys sound very intimidating. Right? When these 12 guys go in and say, look, we look like grasshoppers compared to these dudes. That's not somebody I would want to pick a fight with. Right? So I understand their fear, especially former slaves. I mean, these these guys didn't have military training. You know, they were slaves. It wasn't but just weeks and months that they were making bricks out of hay and mud. And now God was going to bring them in and they were just intimidated. But listen, God wasn't calling them to do it alone. And he wasn't calling them to do it on their terms. 
And the same is true of us. God's plan, guys, does not depend on your abilities. And it doesn't depend on your lack of ability. Sometimes when God gives us a promise, the path we need to take is not the path we expected. Sometimes it's not the path we'd prefer. You see, this is what happened. I don't know what these guys expected to see. Right? But they, they saw the size of these guys. They saw how fortified these cities were, and they were just intimidated. They were fearful. It wasn't the path they wanted. God gave them a promise. They, they wanted to just walk into a field where nobody was. They wanted to just inhabit a land that didn't have any battles to be fought. But how many of you know that God calls us into battles? How many of you know that the road that God leads us down is not often the easy road? And we can be tempted just as they were when we see that the road is not easy to turn back. I'm a little bit of a history nerd. When I was reading this, I, I, I thought of the Protestant Reformation. I'm going to explain what that is, okay? You know, back in the, in the 1500s, 1400s, all of the Western world was mostly Catholic. And it was a different Catholic than we have today. The Catholic Church has changed a lot since that time period, right? But in that time period, people could only, they couldn't read the Bible at all. They only had the Bible in Latin, and the only people who could read it were priests. Nobody else could read it. Nobody else knew what it said. People just went to church, and they just did whatever the priest told them to do, but they didn't know what the Bible actually said about anything. And then along comes these reformers, one of these guys named Martin Luther. He had his doctorate degree. He was a professor in the Catholic seminary. He was teaching priests what the Bible said. So since he was a priest, and since he was a scholar... He was able to read the scriptures in Latin. He was actually even able to translate them from Greek in the New Testament. So Martin Luther is translating the Bible in Greek and he reads the book of Romans and he's like, what the heck? The Bible says I'm saved by faith and not by works. We're not doing this right. And because Martin Luther's a stand-up guy, he can't keep his mouth shut. He confronts the church and says, hey, this isn't right. Well, they decide they're going to kill him, right? And so he goes before a council where they're ready to kill the guy. And they're like, you need to recant everything you've said. You need to stand with the church and stop saying that people need to be able to read the Bible for themselves. You know what he says? No way. And as soon as he leaves that place, this is too much information, but one of the princes in Germany who liked Martin Luther's teaching kidnapped him, locked him in an attic, and gave him the resources to translate the Bible from Latin and Greek into the German language. And he sat up there with a quill pen and translated the whole New Testament into German and distributed it. And his life was under threat, guys. And it wasn't until way later... When the emperor of Germany wanted to kill Martin Luther, that some of the other princes in, in Germany, they, they, they came to this meeting and they said, you know what? You're going to have to kill all of us if you're going to take our Bibles away. 
And the emperor backed down. And that was the start of Protestant Christianity in Germany. Did you know that people spilled their blood and died so that you and I could read our Bibles in our language? What a privilege it is, right? But it wasn't the path a guy like Martin Luther would have preferred. When God called him to change the world, God was calling him into a battle. God's path isn't often the easy one. How many of you know that if we're going to follow God in this life, we're going to face some difficult odds sometimes? Maybe even impossible odds. Or maybe like Caleb, we will have to stand alone to stand with God. You know, this past week, I got to go to see you at the poll at Florence Chapel Middle School. Shout out to Florence Chapel Middle School. <laughs> Dude, there's like 150 kids there. I have never seen that many kids at a see you at the poll. I mean, such a blessing. What a great group of kids. I'm proud of our students who are standing for their faith in school, man. You guys are incredible. Incredible. But I also saw a post on Facebook at one school where there's just one kid. You know, I was talking to a family this morning who said that they were at a school where there was three kids and a pastor there. Sometimes we've got to stand alone. Sometimes if we're going to follow God, we're going to stand with a few people. And the road is not easy. So the Israelites were faced with a point of decision. <laughs> were they going to believe God and walk into the future that he had for them? Or would they allow fear to win the day and shrink back from the battle. Caleb didn't hesitate, did he? I love how Caleb interrupts them. <laughs> like he doesn't even let the haters finish what they're saying. He doesn't give room to the doubters. He knows that they're planting poison. So they're in the middle of talking, and he's like, whoa, 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 look. We can do this. We should go do it now. Let's just go do it. If God's on our side, what do we have to be afraid of? Because Caleb was a leader, guys. He was the kind of leader that God and Moses could depend on. But despite Caleb's plea, the Israelites chose to follow the advice of the doubters. Rather than trusting God and walking into a sure victory, they chose to shrink back and settle for less than what God had for them. They just thought, you know what, maybe that's God's best, but maybe we'll just take something else. Right? Right? Maybe we'll just settle for something else. But the thing that we need to understand and they needed to understand is that God always leads us down the best paths. And when we choose to settle, guys, when we take our eyes off of God, things always turn out worse than we thought they would. We thought we were just settling, but it never really settles, does it? It always ends up worse. <laughs> And because they refused to trust God, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. God made the decision. You guys don't want to go in the land because you don't believe that I'm able to give it to you? I'm going to let you wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every one of you adults who doubted me is dead. And then I'm going to take your children in there to take the land. 40 years in the wilderness. 
Because they didn't want to believe God. They didn't want to receive the promise. They didn't think it was worth it. And the Israelites chose wrong. Caleb chose right. The Israelites chose wrong. Second observation I want us to get from this story is that Caleb stood with God's people. Caleb stood with God. Caleb stood with God's people. Listen to Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made their hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, Caleb's about to start leading again. Now then, just as the Lord promised... He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me on that day. You yourself heard then that the an Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Don't you just love this? Don't you just love Caleb's attitude? I like this guy. I want to hang out with this guy. But don't you also just kind of picture your grandfather? I mean, he was 85 years old. I can't help but picture this guy in like, Black, half dress, half tennis shoe, therapeutic Velcro shoes. <laughs> right? And elastic waisted pants pulled up real high so you got room to move. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He's, his pants are hiked up and ready for action. And I just picture him shaking his fist saying, You just show me the way. And I want some butts. You know what I mean? Like, you just show me which direction. Point me in the right direction and I'm going to kick some butt, right? Like, this is how I picture Caleb, you know? And grandma's in the background saying, oh, Herb, you know? <laughs> Calm down, you know? Do you remember those arguments when you were a kid? I don't know if you did this, but I'd get in these arguments with kids at school. Like, a kid would be like, I could beat you up. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I could beat you up. And then they'd be like, oh, I could beat you up. Well, my dad could beat you up. Well, my dad could beat up your dad. Oh, yeah, my grandpa can beat up your grandpa. Isn't that funny? My grandpa was really old when I was that young, you know, but it's just the way you think as a kid. You know, so Caleb's like, show me the way, and his grandkids are probably like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Caleb's ready to kick butt and take names. But he's been waiting for 40 years. If I were Caleb, man, I would have left those people in the desert. <laughs> When I said, let's go, and everybody's like, no, we're too afraid, man, I would have, like, found me a healthy camel, some bottled water, and some Little Debbie cakes, and I would have just headed out. <laughs> Rode off into the sunset like a cowboy. 
But Caleb stayed there with God's people for 40 years in the wilderness. And even though the Israelites didn't follow Caleb's lead, he didn't abandon them to face those 40 years alone. Because Caleb was a leader. And after God's judgment, I'm sure everyone in the camp knew that Caleb had chosen the right path. Right? And I would bet that Caleb continued to be a leader and a mentor those 40 years. And I would bet that Caleb probably had a leading role in raising up the next generation to be prepared to fight the battles their parents weren't ready to fight. You know, you might be, you might be here today and you're not young. You know what God's calling you to? Helping raise up the next generation to fight the battles that they're going to face. It's important to recognize, too, that even though God needed to teach his people a hard lesson in obedience, he didn't abandon them either. God was with them those 40 years. His presence was with them those 40 years. God never abandoned them even when they were disobedient. In the same way that God never abandons you and me when we're disobedient. So after 40 years, the Israelites are ready to enter the land, and Caleb is 85 years old. His faith and trust in God are still unmoved, and he's ready to help lead the next generation into battle. He says, I feel as vigorous as I did 45 years ago. He's ready. Third observation I want us to notice today is this. Caleb received his inheritance. Caleb stood with God. He stood with God's people. And he received his inheritance. Listen to Joshua chapter 14, verse 13. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Listen to Joshua 15, verse 13. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah. Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. These are the giants. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Shishai, Ahaman, and Telmai, the sons of Anak. So Caleb enters into the land, guys. And Caleb and his guys go in, and not only do they go in to fight 85-year-old Caleb, they go in and they take on the biggest guys. I don't know if he just felt like he had beef after 45 years. He's like, you mean those guys are the reason we were too afraid to go in? You point me in their direction. That's who I want first. Caleb didn't just go in and fight for the land God had given him. He took on the toughest guys in the land. And how is that for inspiration? Do you think the Israelites looked and they're like, if 85-year-old Caleb and his guys can take on the giants, do you think we could go in and fight? I guarantee you it was inspiration because Caleb was a leader. I just have this picture in my mind, I think I saw it in a movie, you know, of Caleb just standing there, and there's just an army of guys around him, and he knows he's got to fight him, and God's got his back, so he just picks the strongest, tallest guy there and punches him in the mouth, right? This is the kind of guy that Caleb is. 
And then Joshua 14 verse 15 says that after Caleb went in and he defeated and drove out these giants that God brought a peace on the land. Listen guys, the battle doesn't last forever. Whatever battle you're fighting right now, God wants you to have faith. God wants you to believe, but the battle won't last forever. God will lead you into what he has promised. And from a place of peace and a place of victory, you will look back and see how God was the one who carried you through the battle. Caleb was a leader when he came back and told the people to have faith to take the land. He led when he stayed with God's people for 40 years to prepare the next generation that would one day take the land. And Caleb led when he was 85 years old. And he didn't just go to battle, he took on the biggest guys in the land. It's like he remembered the role that these giants played, right? And he went straight to them. And Caleb, supported by Moses and Joshua, led the way. And all of Caleb's leadership stemmed from one thing. He believed that God was able to do what God said he was going to do. Caleb believed that God was able to do what God said he was going to do. So this morning, you and I are facing a decision. What are you facing right now? Will you believe God and walk into the life he has prepared for you? Or are you going to shrink back and settle for less? Just as the Israelites had a choice, guys, we have a choice. Do we believe that God is who he says he is? Do we believe that God is stronger than any other power? Do we believe that God is able? Guys, then follow his lead through the battles in your life. And you will be victorious. Only don't shrink back. Don't give way to fear. Because fear is a lie. Fear is an emotion. And we all feel it. But fear is not the truth. What God says is the truth. Are you going to believe God for greater things in your life? Because God's got greater things than you could imagine for you and for you to accomplish. Are we going to believe in greater things for our kids? Because God has great plans for them. Are we going to believe God for greater things? in our community, in our church. Listen, we need more Caleb's at Four Points Church. Because we are believing here, guys, for God to do incredible things. I'm not interested in pastoring a church where we can do the best that man can do. I'd rather sell cars. If we're not walking in the power of God, what are we doing? If we're not believing God for greater things, what are we doing? 
Because God has greater dreams than we have. He has greater plans than we have. And guys, the world we live in today is, is, is resisting the gospel. Guys, there are things just happening in the political atmosphere in our country. I mean, it could get real, real fast for the church in America. But I'll tell you this. If we believe God, he will do more than we ask or imagine. If we believe God, we can take this land. We can proclaim his name to every lost person within sight or reach or drive. And people are going to come to know Jesus. And no matter how many people scream at the top of their lungs for us to shut up about Jesus, we will not shut up. We will not back down. We will go toe-to-toe on that fight because it's the right fight and it's God's fight. And if one day it becomes illegal for pastors to preach the whole counsel of the word of God, guys, I will be in prison. Come visit me. Bring soft pretzels. (laughs) We can't lose, guys. If we believe. But just as the Israelites are at a crossroads, you and I are at a crossroads. What will we choose? Guys, I want people to know Jesus. God wants people to know Jesus. He wants to use us. And if we trust him, we will see the victory. That's a promise. The last observation this morning in closing is this. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 says this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation So that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power. For us who believe. So here's our inheritance guys. Salvation. Freely given. Jesus died so that you and I could be received in a relationship with him. Maybe today you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Our inheritance is our salvation. It's knowing God. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that their their minds and hearts would be enlightened. Why? So they could know God. Because when we know God, guys, it enables us to trust him. When we know his character, when we know his ability, when we know his power, when we know him, we can keep our eyes on him and we can walk in faith. We inherit an immovable hope. Guys, we can set our eyes on the promises of God. Promises of kingdom expansion. All the way to the promise of our inheritance in heaven with him. 
our great reward. And we inherit unrivaled power. It's like we're saying, guys, God's power has no rival. God's power has no threat. God never feels threatened. Because God's power is greater. And this incomparably great power is for us who believe. It's ours. And not just to fight our battles, but to have the victory. Victory is our inheritance. That's the promise. Incomparably great power. So what's going on in your life today? What is that mountain you don't feel like you can climb? Who are those enemies who are just staring you down? What are you afraid of? God has promised you and I victory if we will just keep our eyes on him. If we will just go when he says go, God will bring about the victory in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, I believe that your word is true. That not only do you have incomparably great power, unrivaled power, but you've given that power to us. And God, I pray that we would be faithful when we have battles to fight, knowing that if we're faithful to follow your command, you will be faithful to deliver us and faithful to bring about the victory. God, I pray for victory in the life of every person listening to this message in every area in their lives where they need victory, in every area of my life where I need victory. Father, we believe it and we receive it. It's your promise and it's your power. In Jesus' name, amen.